At North Point Community Church, we are passionate about helping our community move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus. And we hope this message helps you do that. Thank you for tuning in. All right, hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Excited to be here. Everyone online, hey, good to see you guys too. Get my good side, all right, good to know. Hey, um, when I was in college, uh, our university had a Bible school that I attended. There you go. And uh, they wanted to get this conference up and going. And I think the reason they probably wanted to do that uh, was they wanted to encourage people and they wanted to solicit funds from alumni. I haven't done that myself. So uh, they had said all this big thing. They had a big speaker coming. His name was Shane Claiborne. Uh, Shane Claiborne is a Christian social activist and author. Uh, I wasn't too excited to actually hear Shane Claiborne. I read some of his stuff early on and where I was at uh, in my faith journey. Uh, he seemed a little out there for me. He was doing, uh, had us do a fuel fast uh, to offset the cost of fuel and then the use of fuel that was coming in there. And so I was like, eh, I don't know about this guy. But I also knew if I didn't go, I would fail. So I showed up to this conference uh, begrudgingly, um, and I was actually really encouraged by a lot of the stuff that he had to say, but most of what I remember had to do with one particular story that he shared, and I want to share that with you guys here. Uh, Shane talked about when he was younger, he went down to Calcutta to spend some time uh, with all the people working with Mother Teresa. Now, Mother Teresa was a nun who had moved to Calcutta to work with people that uh, had leprosy and HIV and AIDS and were just in extreme poverty. Like, just their kids uh, were suffering and going through things, and she wanted to make a difference, so she dedicated her life to being down here in just the slums of the slums of the world to make a difference. And Shane said that he went in there to kind of learn from Mother Teresa, to learn what they were doing, to learn how to make a difference. And what stuck out is he's telling the story. He says he got there and he got to see Mother Teresa off in the distance. And, and the first thing that he recognized was Mother Teresa has horrible feet. Like horrible, horrible, like snaggle feet things going on, right? And he's like, well, you don't walk up to Mother Teresa and say, hey, Snagglefoot, what happened to your toes, right? So he's like, what do I do? And so he, he went over and he connected with some people that were close to her. And he kind of whispered to him and said, hey, like, is she sick? Was there an accident? Like, what happened to Mother Teresa's feet? And so they went on to tell him a story and they said, Shane, you got to recognize every year we get a donation of used shoes and sandals brought to us. And when they come in, Mother Teresa is the first person to go through all of those shoes and sandals. And she does that because she digs through and finds the absolute worst pair and she wears them that year. And after years of doing this, her feet have become deformed and extremely painful to her. And I thought, Wow. That is crazy. Because, like, I need Dr. Scholl's kind of stuff on my feet. So, like, there is no way Jake is doing that. Like, I thought, this is crazy to me. It was the craziest thing I'd ever heard. Because at no point in time in my life would I think, oh, I need to go get the absolute worst to help somebody else out. Like, that's not how I'm wired. That's crazy talk. That's not how we function. That's not how we work. So we're going to dive into this series all summer long called Crazy Talk, and we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and we're going to look at some things that Jesus had to say, some of his teachings that, and honestly, they just feel crazy. They feel a little out there. He says stuff that just sounds and can feel so irrational to us, things that nobody would want to do. He says stuff like, hey, if you are angry at somebody, you have already murdered them. What? <laughs> or if you look at somebody with lust, you've committed adultery. Like, come on, Jesus. Like, you're going to set that bar a little high, man. Like, help me out here or something. Like, can anybody achieve that? Like, it, it sounds like you don't really live in the real world here, Jesus, and know how things are working here, right? It's a little crazy. And the truth is, as we're going to study this, it may sound crazy. 
but we're gonna recognize that crazy can change the world. And it may sound crazy, but crazy can change the world. And so we're gonna be in Matthew chapter five to start out looking at the first 12 verses this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, Bible app, or you have the North Point app, we'd encourage, like, check that out and use that. You can hang out with us this morning and read through with the notes. Uh, but we're gonna look at the first two verses as we start. It says this. It says, seeing the crowds, he, meaning Jesus, went up to the mountain and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them Saying. See, up to this point in time, Jesus has called his first uh, few co-workers, his apostles here. He's conducted amazing teachings and like these amazing healings. And he's announced his kingdom mission all on this tour throughout the land of Galilee to people. And we see here in Matthew 5 that Jesus starts this absolutely incredible teaching about the kind of life available for those that are responding to him. This has become known as the Sermon on the Mount. And many have called it the greatest sermon ever preached. Sorry, Uh, And here's the thing. (laughs) Jesus is a master teacher, a master teacher. And what we have here in Matthew 5 through 7 are his teachings, but they're not probably exhaustive teachings. They're more summary of the things that Jesus would have would have talked about here. Uh, In fact, you can still go to the mountain where Jesus would have taught this from. I've never been, but if anybody wants to send me, uh, I'll give you my Venmo for that. And uh, what it is, is when you climb up on this mountain, there's this beautiful view of the Sea of Galilee. And they've taken these placards and they've set them up all along the path up the mountain that are these verses we're going to cover today. And at the base of the mountain, they built a church because basically anytime in the New Testament, Jesus did something cool, like they came along and and built a church in that area. It's just kind of the thing that we've done throughout uh, history. And when Jesus is sitting up on this mountain, he takes a seat. And this is like typical uh, Jewish teacher rabbi format kind of thing. Like, like we come up here and make you guys look and listen to us. But, but for back then, a, a rabbi or a teacher would go and he would sit down. And when he would sit down, it basically told everybody like, hey, the good stuff is on its way, right? So they would all want to move closer to here. What is it that Jesus is going to say? What is he going to talk about here? The good stuff is coming. And Jesus recognizes in this moment, he's actually talking to two groups of people. He's talking to his disciples who were probably physically closest to him. They were most connected to him, but they're also the ones who had already made a commitment to Jesus. These are his followers. These are his guys. They're in with everything that Jesus says and does. This would include guys like uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John. We know them in the apostles. Uh, The others hadn't been called yet, but there would be other followers of Jesus that were in and a part of this. And then there's the crowds that were joined. And these are the people that uh, were interested in Jesus. They were curious and they were amazed by by his teachings and his miracles, but there really wasn't a commitment there yet. They're just kind of feeling this whole Jesus thing out. And like this morning, we've probably got that same thing here, right? Like there's some of us, man, we're we're committed to the mission of Jesus. We're committed to Jesus. We're all in. And then there's others of us that that we showed up and we're kind of checking out this Jesus thing. We're not really sure. And like, this is a great place for both to be here. And we're glad that you're here. Um, Jesus is speaking to the same crowd right here. And what he goes on to tell them here in these next few verses, uh, we've labeled or called the Beatitudes in church history. The Beatitudes. Um, And we call them the Beatitudes because if you were to read this in Latin, uh, they all start with the words beate, beate, which simply just means blessed, blessed. And so we've called them all the blessings or the Beatitudes here. In the Greek, uh, it's actually the word makariosh. I get it wrong every time. Makariosh. And it's this idea that you are blessed from God's perspective. That even when it doesn't feel good, Even when life situations are are hard or or uncomfortable or you don't like what's going on, you still recognize that God's blessing is 
upon you. And as we're going to read through these verses, it's important to recognize like these are not uh, individual blessings that you earn. It's not uh, different things that you can do in order to achieve some sort of reward. The Beatitudes, in fact, are markers of those who follow Jesus an encouragement of what is actually in store for those of us who are following after him. This is not a, a do this and then you get this kind of idea, but rather this is a spoken reality of the condition of being a follower of Jesus. And it's followed by the encouragement of what you get to look forward to one day and what you have now as being a follower of Jesus. And so Jesus is up on this mountain and he sits down and he tells his followers about these markers of what it looks like and means to follow him. The crazy part is that when we read these on the surface, they can feel a little backwards. Like these markers and these resulting encouragement, they seem a little wrong when you first look at them, either in our world or back when Jesus would have said them. But the reality is these are, are a little crazy, but crazy can change the world. So we're going to look at these crazy teachings of Jesus this morning and all summer long, and we're going to see how Jesus' crazy talk can indeed change our world. So jump with me here back into verse 3, and we're going to go through these Beatitudes here together. Jesus starts out here, and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But some of the poor in spirit, Jesus is, is telling his followers, hey, if you're, if you're on my team, if you're following after me, like you've got to be poor in spirit. In other words, you have to be spiritually bankrupt. To be poor means that you have nothing to offer, that you've got nothing to be able to give, that you are empty on your own. So to be poor in spirit means that they would have had to recognize that they cannot help themselves before God. That spiritually, these followers are empty, that they have nothing to offer, that they have nothing to be able to give. And yet Jesus says that, hey, when you are there, you guys actually get the kingdom of heaven. How? How, if they're spiritually broke, can they afford the kingdom of heaven? They've got nothing to offer. They've got nothing to give for it. They can't earn it. They can't buy it. Like broke people don't get kingdoms. Broke people get put on the street. Broke people get their water and their power turned off. And Jesus is telling his followers, hey, your status as being poor in spirit is a really good thing. And it's good because it forces you to recognize that you can't get it on your own. That when you recognize you are spiritually poor, that you don't have enough good inside of you to buy your way into right favor with God, then you are in a place where you can receive what it is that God freely offers to you. Like I could go uh, over into White Hills and knock on Tom, uh, Tom Izzo's door, like security would probably knock me out. But if I tried, I knocked on his door and he came and I said, Tom, guess what, man? I'm going to buy you a cabin up north. He'd go, cool, I've got like seven of those, right? Like no big deal. He can buy whatever he wants. But if I go downtown and I, and I find somebody on the street and I talk to them and say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you a home. I'm gonna buy you a house. Like it means more, right? Like we've begun to change somebody's life because we recognize the status of where they're at. And when we recognize that you and I can't spiritually afford anything apart from God that we receive, we can receive the incredible free gift of himself that he's able to give to us. That being poor in spirit means that you get the kingdom of God for your inheritance. It's crazy, but it'll change your world. He goes on in verse four and he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. See, I don't know about you guys, but when something happens and I'm in a state of mourning, like I don't feel blessed. 
I don't really feel blessed when those things happen. You don't lose all of your savings and post on Facebook, well, my blockbuster stock went over, hashtag blessed, right? Like you don't do that. You're in mourning. There's loss that occurs in these times. Here's the thing. Mourning is rooted in a sense of loss. So it seems crazy that Jesus would call somebody who's experiencing loss blessed. Jesus calls his followers and lets them know that you are mourners and you are blessed because when you recognize that you are indeed spiritually at a loss because of the destruction of sin in your life. And that should move you to mourning. It should move us to a place of mourning. That as followers of Jesus, man, we mourn the separation that sin has created in us. The resulting spiritual, emotional, financial, or relational loss that occurs in our lives because of sin. But we can find comfort in the hope in Jesus. Like mourning turns to grief when there's no longer any hope. But mourning turns to comfort when we see a hope that we get in Jesus that we get salvation and forgiveness are available to us because of Jesus. And we get to be made into a right relationship with God because of Jesus. Like there is hope and comfort in that. We should be mourned or moved to mourn from the sin in our life. But the blessing of the comfort of Jesus should cause us to rejoice. He goes in verse five, and this is my favorite one. I love this. It's the best beatitude in the whole one, the whole thing here. It says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Now here's a question. How many of you guys on your last job resume put down, I am a meek worker? Yeah, that didn't happen, right? Or maybe you're a young guy, so you put on your dating profile like, hey, I love to travel a lot, big in sports, super meek person to hang out with, right? Like nobody does that. We, we really don't like the word meek in our vocabulary. And as guys, it kind of rhymes with weak, so we're like, Psh, no way. That's not me, right? We're too manly for that kind of stuff. Well, here's the thing. Uh, you can use the word meek here described. Actually means gentle. And all my guys are like, yeah, pass, right? That's not any better, Jake. That's not helping at all. Jesus says to his followers here, hey, it is the gentle that will inherit the earth. Like, hey, Jesus, <laughs> you're doing that crazy talk stuff here again, okay? Like Steve Jobs was not a gentle individual and he had a multi-billion dollar corporation, okay? Kobe Bryant had five NBA titles, but he wasn't the gentle mamba on the basketball court, okay? Johnny Cash didn't get famous because he went into a gentle ring of fire, okay? Like it's not how that works, Jesus. It's the aggressive that make a difference in our life. You gotta be a go-getter. You gotta do whatever it takes to get to the top. You gotta push through. You gotta get there. That's how it works, Jesus. Like you didn't go to a football game at any point in time and all the cheerleaders go, be gentle, be, be, be gentle, right? Like, that's not how our world works. We don't do that. That's ridiculous. Here's the thing. Meekness doesn't mean weakness. Weak, meekness doesn't mean weakness. In fact, the term that's used here is actually uh, in reference to a bridled horse or a tamed Horse. Now, if you've ever been horseback riding, and I'm not talking like the youth trip where you went around in like the little circle, but like you've been out in the fields like riding a horse or, or you're like me and, and you watch the Kentucky Derby and you see these, these powerful animals with these massive muscles that are just smashing their hooves into the ground with great power going as hard and as fast as they can and just moving on forward because they're big and they're powerful, but they're bridled here. Like the power of the horse is still there, 
but they've yielded that power to the jockey. That's meekness. Meekness isn't the absence of power. It's giving control to somebody else. For a horse, that's a jockey. For you and me, that's Jesus. It's recognizing our power and saying, God, this is yours. It's how you want to do with it. It's how you want things to be done. That is meekness. It might sound crazy, guys, but meekness will change your world. He goes on in verse six and he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Like to be hungry and thirsty shows like you have this dire need inside of you. Like when I haven't had enough water or missed lunch, like y'all, I'm crabby and cranky and hungry and my wife just throws me a Snickers and she walks out of the room, right? Like you gotta help me out here. You gotta fix it or you're not gonna wanna be around me here. And Jesus is saying here like, hey, He's talking about people that are craving for things to be made right in life. And there's this strong desire to see justice done in the world, to live their life in such a manner that it is done right. And they're anxiously awaiting for God to show up and to just get all this world back to the right way that it was supposed to be. And this feels crazy because for the history of the world, we have been plagued with injustice and pain and prejudice and fear fear and somebody who so desperately wants the world to be right looks like they just have a childish optimism about themselves. Why? Because man, it is the crooked people pulling the strings. It is the powerful people looking the other way. It is the vulnerable people that are trampled on. How can Jesus say that those who crave what is right will be filled when it seems like it has never happened? See, the reason Jesus can say to his followers that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in this world will be satisfied is because he is the only one who is righteous. That as followers of Jesus, we are made right before God and then we are given the responsibility to do right in this world. And then we look forward to the day when God will come and he will get rid of all the evil of injustice and pain and hate and fear and he'll remove it for this world and he will restore it to its right place. And then you will be satisfied because you are satisfied when you are connected to the only one who is right and can make things right in this world. He goes on in verse seven, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain or receive mercy. You guys ever been burned by this one before? <laughs> ever been burned by this one here, Jesus? Because see, merciful means that you're giving forgiveness to the guilty and you're giving kindness to the hurting. Have you ever forgiven someone or been kind to someone who needed it? And then when it was your turn to be forgiven or you need a little bit of help, like they were gone, <laughs> Jesus, I did that merciful thing and I didn't get any of it. I don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. That's not how the world works. Like, Jesus, this could not be a guarantee because honestly, man, I could tell you some stories. It'd be crazy to think that other people are gonna forgive or show kindness simply because I did. People always, always take advantage of other people. See, this is one of those blessings I talked about earlier where we tend to think that if I do this, I'm gonna get this, that if I give mercy, I'm going to get mercy. If I give forgiveness, I get forgiveness. If I give kindness, I'm going to get kindness. But that's just not how it works. That as followers of Jesus, we have to recognize when he's telling his crew here, he's saying, hey guys, look, you have already been given mercy. 
That as followers of Jesus, we have already received forgiveness. We have already been shown kindness. That Jesus taking our penalty and our place because of our sin makes it so that God's mercy just flows over us. And then one day, when God comes to make all things right in this world again, we get his mercy again because he sees all that is wrong in this world. He sees all the darkness inside of us, and he doesn't care because he sees the mercy of Jesus flowing over top of us. It's because of the mercy that I have gotten from God that I can just freely give it out in return. When I recognize my own wickedness, when I move to mourning from the sin in my life and I see the poverty in my spirit and I am confronted with the mercy of Jesus, man, I can forgive better. And I can show more kindness to other people. Like it is crazy to expect mercy from others all the time, but it is world changing to be able to just give that mercy away that you've gotten from Jesus. He gives another one in verse eight. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, as Jesus is sitting here talking to his Jewish audience, uh, this one right here would have probably seemed a little crazy to them because they would have been incredibly familiar with these ritual purification things that were done. And they saw the Pharisees and their religious leaders doing all the time where they would clean the outside before they would get access to God. If they would touch any, any bodily fluid or anything that was sick or dead or considered unclean, they would have to wash their hands or they would have to wash their entire body, right? And like some of my germaphobe people are already reaching for your sanitizer right now. Like, yes, that is what I'm talking about, okay? So they would see this and they would recognize this Jewish audience and say, no, you've got to purify the outside. It's getting clean on the outside. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 purify your heart if you want to see God. And this would have felt so crazy to those listening. Jesus is saying, purify the heart and everything else, the result is going to come clean. That it's not about the cleaning or the rituals or going through the motions or doing religious things or being at every Bible study or giving a certain percent of your income or multiple mission trips or looking the part to get access to God. But rather, it's about allowing Jesus to purify your heart, to change who you are when you acknowledge who he is. And that gets you access to God. It doesn't matter if you went through a religious ritual as a child or, or you have near perfect Sunday school attendance or, or whatever it may be. What gets you to God is a pure heart made clean from trusting in Jesus. Everything else will just wash away when you try. He points out next, he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Now, some of you guys have had to play peacemaker a lot this past year. Your kids did not go to school nearly as much as you wanted, but they were all up in each other's face all the time, and you had to play peacemaker for a part of that. And sometimes your peacemaker may have dipped into warlord a little bit, which is totally understandable. And you didn't always feel blessed when you're in the middle of their chaos or their arguments or whatever may be going on. See, the idea of peacemaker here can probably be translated as well as peace worker, as peace worker. And what it does is it refers to somebody who reconciles people with God and with one another. That peace working requires taking the initiative to get involved in conflicts with the intention of building bridges between the parties that are at odds. 
It also requires followers of Jesus to proclaim that good news of Jesus so that others can be reconciled to God. See, this is the ultimate peacemaking. And it's why Jesus said that those who are peacemakers will be seen as sons of God because God is all about reconciliation. And by pointing others to Jesus and by building bridges together with others, you reflect that character of God in reconciliation. See, today people either don't want to get involved in other people's lives or they want to get in, stir the pot, and watch that thing boil over. Neither one is a peacemaker. As followers of Jesus, man, we are to actively engage to champion peace and to lead others to the good news of Jesus. It's a reflection of the character of the God that we follow and is world-changing. Jesus ends here, and I'm, I'm going to put all these together in, in 10 through 12, and he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. These last couple of verses probably seem like the absolute craziest here. That Jesus calls blessed those who are suffering persecution. Jesus says that those who get knocked down for standing up for what is right are blessed. See, it's, it's increasingly difficult to stand up for what's right in God's eyes in our world. Like everywhere, you are either uh, pushed to, to be silent or to get on board. Like we know this. We feel it in our conversations. We feel it at work. We feel it from the things that we watch and what we listen to. And, and we understand that we're in a position where if you hold on to the, what is right, if you hold on to the things that Jesus taught, if you hold on to the things that God has placed in, the world, in his word to show who he is and what he values, if you stand up for that, then you will be reviled. You will be persecuted. You will be spoken against. I mean, after having lots of conversations, man, I tend to believe that there is a lot of fear in the followers of Jesus. That if they stand up for truth, man, they could come across as, as unloving or narrow-minded or outdated or maybe just plain crazy. That friends will judge us, that the culture will cancel us, that strangers will label us. And it's a fear because, look, we, we don't want to be, we want to stand up for what's right, but we don't want to be out there as that harsh guy who tells everybody that they're going to hell or, or the person who's always posting stuff that really we claim to be Jesus but kind of lines up more with a political agenda. See, righteousness means seeing what is right from God's perspective. Following Jesus and moving towards a life fully devoted to him means viewing things from his perspective. And his perspective is both full of love and justice. It's caring about others that you meet them where you are, there they are, and you tell them the truth of who Jesus is. See, Jesus spent countless hours with people who live lives that were considered unrighteous, but he did that because he loved them. And he did that because he wanted them to see what was right and what was better for them. And because of that, Jesus was judged. He was spoken against and he was killed for it. See, Jesus' last part of the Beatitudes is a reminder to us that being his follower means that there will be hard times. But it's gonna be worth it. That as a follower of Jesus, like we get Jesus. 
we get forgiveness, we get redemption, we get adopted into the family of God and we get all of the benefits of being a child of God. And all these beatitudes, Jesus is pointing out to his followers what it is that they've signed up for. And I can't imagine what was going through the minds of these first followers of Jesus or even the crowd that was hearing what Jesus was saying here. What, they, what he did was he called them to something so radically different than what they saw in the world around them. So radically different than what they would have grown up hearing. What were they going through? What was going through their mind? What were they beginning to think? See, I've never forgotten that story about Mother Teresa's messed up feet. And the reason is because to me, those feet are a picture of what it means to be blessed. It's not about achieving comfort or success or stability in this life. It's about putting everything on the line for the glory of God and for the benefit of other people. Like how different would my life look if, if I viewed every aspect of who I was as a blessing of having broken feet? What if I viewed, what if the way that I viewed and valued other people just came at great cost to me? What if what mattered the most to me meant that I sacrificed all that I had for the glory of Jesus? Well, then I'd be blessed. That might sound crazy, but crazy can change the world. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we thank you for your crazy talk, for your crazy blessings, Lord. That seem like they may not make sense, Father, but we recognize, Lord, that this world doesn't make sense, that you value things differently than the world values, that you value things differently than we may value, God. And so, God, we pray, Lord, that we would begin to see you and begin to see others through your righteousness, through your perspective, Lord, and that we would do things, Father, that are, are glorifying to you and that are edifying to others, Father. And that, Lord, we just pray that, that that craziness, we would get to be a part of it to change this world. In your name, Jesus.